Welcome to Marksman, a program for men who have been marked by Christ and who are aiming their lives at Christ-likeness. I'm Mark Spillman. I'm your host. I want to welcome you to the conversation today. Welcome to the podcast. Hopefully you'll share this. I would invite you to please share this with your friends, with your buddies, and with other men, even men who are not followers of Christ. Let them hear the program. Invite them. Challenge them to listen it. And if that's you, you're listening to the program, and someone shared this with you, Man, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. You are welcome to today's podcast. I Hopefully you'll tune in and, and hang with us throughout the entirety of the conversation. I believe the Lord is going to help us today and speak to us from His Word. Now, we've been on Marksman, on the podcast. We've been in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, looking at God's Hall of Fame. That's right, God's Hall of Fame. Here, God highlights in Hebrews 11 different men, and there's some women mentioned, but we're focusing on the men. Of course, this is marksmen. This is for men, right? (laughs) So we're focusing on Hebrews 11, not to be chauvinistic. We're just saying, hey, let's learn as men from these men in the Bible. Of course, Jesus Christ, he's the perfect man. He's the man we ultimately aim our life at. He's the man we're following. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's our kinsman Redeemer. He's our Deliverer. He's our King. Um, Yet, we can also learn. We can have other supplements to our faith as we learn from other godly examples. And that's what Hebrews 11 is. It's just God's Hall of Fame. These are men that he highlighted, men and women, that He said, look at them. They trusted me. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did that. By faith, they accomplished this. By faith, they were delivered from that. And so we're just digging into those. And we've spent several episodes talking about Abraham. And rightfully so. In the book of Hebrews 11, there's many verses, probably more verses than any other person in the chapter are dealing with Abraham him and Sarah, him and his children, Isaac and Jacob. And so that's why we're taking more episodes, and I've enjoyed every single one of them. I hope you have too. And if you've missed any of them, just go back on the Marksman list and just go through part one, two, three, and all the way up to where we are. And I think we're going to possibly wrap up today, and and we'll move on from Abraham after today's podcast. But hopefully you'll catch those. But if you don't, Hey, today we'll stand alone, plenty of truth, plenty of good things that will, I'm sure, encourage your faith, sharpen your sword, so to speak. And so let's just get back into the book of Genesis because Hebrews 11 is like a highlight reel. It's kind of like a Facebook post. It's it's the high point. It's the positive things. Yet the Bible does give us the nitty gritty. The Bible does pull back the curtain and you get to see backstage. You get to see behind the scenes in these men's lives, and God's not ashamed of it. God's not ashamed to let us know the journey. God's not ashamed to let us know the struggle. God's not ashamed to let us know the challenges he had with his own family. And so when we look at Abraham, when we look at Sarah, we see that. We see the ups and the downs, but we see ultimately they settle in through covenant with God, and they let their heart get settled, even though the promise has lingered for many, 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 many years. 
They finally get settled. Genesis 15, God enters into blood covenant with them. And even after the covenant, they still struggled some. They, Abraham tried to offer Ishmael, his chief of staff, saying, Hey, I still have no child here. I know your promise. I'm not doubting the promise, but maybe we could, maybe we could do it through, uh, through Eleazar. And he's like, No, we're not using Eleazar. And then later on, he and Sarah, you know, kind of work something out. And Sarah offers her handmaid, Hagar, and says, Well, if you're going to have seed, maybe you can have it through my handmaid, Hagar. And Ishmael was born. And God has to revisit that whole situation. I'm recapping in a real short fashion a, a huge journey. But here's the issue. There's a journey. There's a journey. And the thing is, no matter what the question is, no matter what the issue is, go to God. Go to God's Word. Go to Go to the Holy Spirit, who is the one who leads us and guides us in the truth. Go to Jesus Christ. Go to the truth. Don't, don't let your past be your guide. Don't let your experiences be your guide. Don't let your emotions and feelings be your guide. Don't let anyone else's opinion but God's opinion be your guide. That's the lesson we learn from all this, because God has to deal with this. Abraham had to deal with it. Sarah had to deal with it. And through a lot of conversation, God held true and said, I'm not backing off my promise. I'm not backing off what I said. I said, in you, Abraham, and in you, Sarah, you're going to have a son. And so let's pick up the conversation where we left off. Go back to the book of Genesis. You can hear the page is turning here. I believe God is turning the page for some of us today. Just take that as a promise. Take that as a prophetic word. God's turning the page. Why don't you just go ahead and just declare that God's turning the page. <laughs> Amen. God is turning the page. So go back to the book of Genesis. We left off in chapter 17 last time we were together. God reaffirms that my covenant is going to be with Isaac. It's going to be this time next year. I mean, God actually says, okay, it's going to happen next year at this time. You're going to have a son. I don't care that you're 99, Abraham. I don't care that you're 90, Sarah. I'm changing your name. You are the father of many nations. Sarai, you're going to be called Sarah. So through the change of identity and through the revisiting of the covenant, God says this time next year, you're going to have a son. You're going to call him Isaac. I'll go ahead and bless Ishmael as far as I can bless him. But this covenant is going to be between me, you, and Isaac. He's the seed. And so um, verse 24 of Genesis uh, 17, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. That was the mark of the covenant God told him to do in the flesh of his foreskin. He was 99. Ishmael, his son, was also 13 years old now when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael, his son, and all the men of his house, born in his house, and even those bought with his money, even of the strangers, they were all circumcised with him. So God's in covenant. He said, you're going to be in my house. You're going to be working on my in my companies and my businesses because he was very rich in cattle and gold and, and sheep and camels, all kinds of stuff. He said, if you're going to be in my house, you're going to work for me. You're going to get circumcised because I'm in covenant with God. 
So he was willing to let his faith get into his business. I don't want you to miss that. He was willing to let his faith be worked out, walked out, even in his business with his employees. And he had lots of employees. He had, you read about in a previous chapter, he had hundreds of trained soldiers, even in his own house, when he fought against the, the surrounding kings who had come out against him. So let's go on to Genesis 21, though. Let's just get to the birth of Isaac. Let's move forward to that point, because that's what happens like God promised one year from that date. Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah just like he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abram a son in her old age. It was the set time, just like God had spoken. Now, verse 3, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac, which means laughter. (laughs) Now, if you read the story, if you heard previous episodes, uh, Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, and they laughed because they thought this is impossible. This has been too long. God, I know you promised it. God, I know we have a covenant. God, I I, I see those stars every night. I know the promise. I see the sand on the shore. I know the promise. But it just seems laughable that this is going to come to pass. And yet God visited him. We read about it in Genesis 17, said, I'm done hearing this. You're going to have a son next year. And basically God's saying, I'm going to have the last laugh. (laughs) And you're going to name him. Isaac, which means laughter. So here's the promise. Here's the fulfillment. God gets the last laugh. It's not over till God wins. It's not over till you win. It's not over till God gets the last laugh. Sometimes we might have circumstances mocking us. We might have debt mocking us. We might have sickness mocking us. We might have divorce mocking us. We might have all kinds of uh, discouraging, bad, shameful situations and decisions mocking us. But it's not over. Not if you keep your eyes on Jesus. It's not over until God gets the last laugh. And Isaac was that promise. And Isaac was his name, and laughter is what his name meant. And so Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. This was nearly 25 years from the initial promise to its fulfillment. And that's not saying that it had to be 25 years, but that was his journey. And so, again, it's not about taking that timeline and saying, oh, man, it's going to be 25 years before God's word comes. That's not the point. The point is do the journey with God. Do the journey day by day with God. Have the conversation with God. Ask God the questions, but let God answer them. Let God answer them. Don't let the questions become accusations. You can see how that goes with the book of Job. When questions become accusations, God will eventually get the last laugh. God will eventually say, okay, you got questions for me. I got a few questions for you. So you don't want to come to God in question where the question is actually an accusation. But if you do have a question, God's open to questions. But we have to be willing to accept his answer. 
and he will answer. And it may not always be right away. It may not be the moment you ask it, but God will answer. And those answers will teach our hearts. Those answers will instruct us. Those answers will be such a a lifeline to us, and it'll nourish us. I know the questions that I've had in the dark, difficult, frustrated seasons of my life, the times that I asked honest questions and God answered me through the scripture, God answered me through the word, God answered me through some anointed word, prophetic word, of course, that lined up scripturally. Those um, answers didn't just answer the issue at the moment. Those answers became nourishment for my life. I still live from the words that I've received in different difficult seasons that I've been through and in my family and in my marriage and all different kinds of scenarios. I'm still nourished by those words. So it's not just a one-off, okay, God answered my question. No, when God answers a question, He answers a life issue. And He that issue is going to answer a lot of other issues in our lives. So here we are, Genesis 21, now Isaac is born, and this is the son of promise. This is the long-awaited Son of promise, the firstborn. And so now he's growing up. And let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 22, because here we get into the ultimate nitty gritty of what God was ultimately wanting to accomplish through his covenant partner, Abraham. And, of course, we saw that covenant dynamic work out. I mean, um, he he worked with his covenant friend Abraham back in Genesis 18 where uh, he was going to come down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, shall I do this? I mean, Abraham owns all this land. I've given it to him. And here are these cities. I'm going to I'm going to turn them into a greasy spot because of the sin in these cities. I'm going to I'm going to pour out my wrath and judgment, but shall I do this before I talk to my friend Abraham? And so, you know, his covenant friend, Now we use the word friend today much, much more loose than what God does and what the Bible does. I mean, Jesus himself in John 15 calls us friends. That means it's a covenant term. It's a covenant language. It's not like, hey, we're buddies. It's covenant language. When when you're a friend, biblically, you're a covenant friend. And when Abraham was the friend of God, it was because of his covenant with God. And it's why God went to him before he even destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham bartered with God, and he tried to get the city spared for so many righteous. He came down from you know this number to this number to this number to this number. And eventually there wasn't even that many righteous and the cities got judged. But thankfully, thankfully, Lot, his wife, his children got out. So, it, you know, this family thing is important. This, this whole thing, Genesis 18, 19, the reason God chose Abraham was because of how he would lead his home how he would lead his family, how he would lead his marriage. And this was why God chose him. Genesis eighteen nineteen. you can read about it. Why did God pick Abraham, this man Abram, out of Ur of Chaldees? Because he knew him that he would lead, he would command. It didn't mean just boss around, tell everybody what to do. Lead. He would lead his family. 
in spiritual matters. He would lead his family in business matters. He would lead his marriage, even in emotional matters. He would lead his family where parenting was concerned so that his children and his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren would keep the way of the Lord. They would do life God's way. And he knew Abraham would lead in that matter. So he chose him because God's promise wasn't just for him. It was for generations We talked about this previously, that sometimes we're not even going to be able to get God's thoughts on a situation until we're willing to think generationally. Because a lot of times we're just in the moment wanting relief, and God is thinking generationally. So it's not just about getting relief in the moment, help in the moment, provision in the moment, deliverance in the moment. We got to thank God's thoughts, and God is always thinking generationally. And so, Genesis eighteen nineteen. I love to highlight that verse because it's it's just the reason God chose him because he was going to be a lead, a spiritual lead, a covenant lead, a faithful lead in his family. And here it plays out ultimately, beautifully in Genesis twenty two in the mountainous region of Moriah. So Genesis 22, it came to pass that after these things, God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And so, again, I I want to highlight this, that there's many years between when God would speak to Abraham. I mean, sometimes 10 years, 13 years, 15 years here from the time Abraham received Isaac. I mean, most Bible scholars believe he could be anywhere from 17 to 25. So we're talking a number of years later. Now God is visiting him again, and this time he's going to test him. And he said, well, here I am, Lord. Behold, here I am. That's Genesis 22, 1. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That that instruction, just in the natural, it makes no sense. God has worked so hard to get Abraham and Sarah to a place of faith, to a place of believing, to a place of trusting. And now he finally gets them there. He gets all the doubts removed. He gets all the fears removed, gets all the anxieties removed, changes their identity. And now at 100 years of age, Abraham has a son. Sarah, 90 years old, has a son. And now they've enjoyed him for a number of years, 15, 17, 20, 25. I don't know how old he is. Let's just say 20. Just pick a number. But we do know that he's somewhere in that range. He's a young man. He's not like a little boy. He's a young man. And so now God comes to him again. This covenant God, this covenant friend. And he says, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, and he, he, he says, and offer him not just as a sacrifice. Did you read that? As a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. My goodness. My goodness, what a relationship 
Abraham had with God. And you know, it doesn't make sense why he's asking this. Now we can look back, you know, at, from where we're at right now in time, in redemption, on the time clock of redemption, we can look back and say, oh yeah, that, that perfectly lines up with prophetic similitudes and prophetic imagery and the type and shadow of Christ and, and God the Father being like Abraham and Jesus being like I. It all, it all makes sense to us. But we're looking back. He, we The beauty of this is getting in the moment with Abraham and not just Abraham, with Isaac and Sarah. I mean, this this is in the trenches where they don't know what we know. They don't see what we see, at least not yet. But notice, I want to I highlight something. Notice verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning. I mean, he acted quick. He moved quick. He, he wasn't going to let his mind get a hold of this. He knew he'd heard from God. He couldn't understand it. All he knew was, I got to act quickly. So it says he saddled the donkey. He, he took two young men with him and Isaac, his son, he took a, a big uh, clave of wood. King James calls it a clave, just a big bundle of wood for the burnt offering. Obviously he had a torch and a flame. And he went to the place or the area God had told him. And verse 4, Genesis 22, 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, I want us to go back to Hebrews 11 real quick. Hebrews 11 and verse 17. Hebrews 11, verse 17. Now, he obeyed before he saw anything. He obeyed before he knew anything. But his obedience moved into a, to a place where he could get revelation. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried or tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Now, does that verbiage sound familiar at all? God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his what? His only begotten son. So what he's asking Abraham to do here is what he's going to do years, hundreds and hundreds of years later. He's actually going to do it. But he's asking his covenant friend to do this because he's ultimately going to do it hundreds and hundreds of years later as God and through his son, Jesus Christ. But the, the imagery here is so beautiful. Abraham, when he, he that had received the promise, was willing to offer up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac shall your seed be called. So God had a promise to Abraham, and it was going to be through Isaac. And man, there was a lot of journey in that whole deal. Because remember, he tried to offer Eleazar, he tried to offer Ishmael, and God said, no, 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 no. It's going to be through Isaac. And now he's asking for Isaac, not just as an offering, not just going to be like a little baby dedication like we do at churches. You know, Lord, Lord, watch over him. Lord, give us wisdom to raise him. This wasn't a baby dedication. This was going to be a burnt offering. He was going to kill his son, and then he was going to burn the remains. I don't mean to be so blunt, but I mean, that's what God asked him to do. It's what he was willing to do. It's what he rose up early the next day to begin 
going to do. And now on the third day, we just read that in Genesis 22, 4, on the third day, does anything happen in the region of Moriah around Jerusalem on the third day? I'll let the Holy Spirit connect the dots on that for you. Accounting that God was able to raise, and I'm back in Hebrews 11, we just read verse 18, of whom it is said, Isaac will your seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure or a figue. Uh, The literal Greek there could be translated vision. Abraham, on the third day, in the mountainous region of Moriah, Genesis 22, on the third day, lifted up his eyes and had a vision. He had a vision, something that showed him that God was going to raise up his son from the dead. Do you know that Calvary outside Jerusalem is in the mountainous region of Moriah? Most Bible scholars agree that this is exactly where Abraham and Isaac were obeying God. So back to Genesis 22. But I wanted you to see that. Genesis 22, 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So did he have a vision? Did he have a revelation? Did he see the future? Whatever he saw gave him the faith to take a knife. And he was going to put his son to death. And then he was going to burn the car, burn the body. And he was going to believe Because God made the promise, and God's made it very clear that in Isaac shall your seed be. So he's like, well, God, if you ask for him, then you're just going to have to raise him from the dead. You're going to have to bring him up out of the ashes. This is the faith of Abraham. Do you see why God highlights such a man for us in Hebrews 11? Do you see why all of Romans 4, Paul talks about what has Abraham Found, What can we learn from this man? Why is he the father of our faith? So Abraham, verse 5, said to the young men, because remember he traveled with some people, he said to the young men, abide here with the donkey. I and the lad are going to go yonder and we're going to worship and we will come again to you. <laughs> You just have to speak in tongues to release some of this. This is so weighty, so precious, so holy, so much life here for us. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. It doesn't matter how circumstances look. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter how unreasonable his instructions might be. If God said it, it's going to come to pass. And the blood of Jesus, the Bible says in Romans 8, if God did not withhold his only begotten son, if God didn't withhold him, Romans 8 says, 
Why or how would he not withhold anything? Or why would he withhold anything good that we need? He goes on to say, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And if we can't be separated from the love of God, then we can't be separated from his protection. We can't be separated from his provision. We can't be separated from his wisdom. We can't be separated from him or anything he would want to do in our life or promise to have do in our life. So he said, abide here with the lad or with the donkey, rather, I am the lad, my young son, we will go yonder and worship. Now, this isn't today's discussion, but I have to mention this. This word worship is the first time in our Bible the word is used. And if you if you do you know, Bible study and Bible studies, you, you learn what's called the law of first mention, the law of first reference. It's when a word is used for the first time, it sets in motion kind of a precedent of every other time you use it, you have to keep it consistent with that usage. And this word worship here, I mean, there's no music happening. And and again, but what is happening here, a covenant family is walking in covenant love, fulfilling covenant purpose, purposes. A covenant family is walking in covenant love, which implies obedience. So a covenant family walking in covenant love, fulfilling covenant purposes. And that's the context the word worship is used here for the first time. So it's not that songs can't be a part of our worship. It's not that gathering, we can't call those worship services, but let's make sure that we're still dealing with covenant love, covenant family, and covenant purpose. In fact, I love a definition I've heard one time about worship. Worship involves intimacy, agreement, and partnership. I want you to say those three words with me. Intimacy, agreement, and partnership. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac were clearly intimate with God through covenant. And they literally had to stay and remain in agreement with God. And they had to work through stuff to stay in agreement. But ultimately, so that partnership could happen. And that's what's happening right here. Genesis 22 Verse 5, I and the lad will go yonder, we're going to worship, and then we're going to come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, and the lad and Isaac, his son, took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went, both of them, together. And Isaac then said, Hey, Dad, hey, Father, here I am, my son, his dad said. He said, Look, here's the fire, here's the wood, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? (laughs) Good question, huh? Well, Abraham and his son have a discussion. Now, we're not privy to the whole discussion. We're privy to the results of that discussion. And the results of that discussion is Isaac gets into agreement with dad. Now, what was the conversation? I don't know, but I I think it's safe to assume Abraham's going to explain what he saw in that vision. That I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put you to death, son. And I'm, I'm gonna. There's gonna be a burnt offering here, but God's gonna raise you from the dead, and you and I we're gonna go back down this mountain together. Now that that seems 
to a natural mind, if you're not tracking with me, that sounds ludicrous. That sounds crazy. That sounds insane. But that's what Abraham believed. And that's what he, through the life he lived, got his son to believe. And his son was old enough that if he didn't want to be a part of this, he could have said, Dad, you're nuts. You have lost it. Ain't no way you're killing me and lighting my body on fire. Ain't no way. And he was old enough, and I'm sure strong enough. His dad's over 100. His dad was 100 years old when he was born. His dad could be close to 120 now. So you're not telling me that this was just a physical thing where Abraham just forced his son and browbeat him and and guilted him. No. The only way Isaac did this was he was in agreement. And of course, we know, looking back, this is the type and shadow of Christ working with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing, saying, is there any other way, Father, that this cup can pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. And then he agonized and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood and get sent me, saying, Father, is there any other way that this cup can pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And just like Christ agonized, I'm sure Abraham and Isaac agonized over this, and yet they had to have come to the place that Christ came and get sent me, where they said, nevertheless, not our will. But God's will be done. And Abraham had that vision, whatever that vision was, however he saw his son being raised from the dead. He had faith that God made promise to him. God gave him this son supernaturally, and he was going to raise this son from the dead because God was going to keep his word, his word that he promised in blood. And so verse 8, Abraham said to my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went up, both of them together, in agreement. And when they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and there he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched up forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Verse 10, and the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, he said. And Abraham said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not your hand upon your lad, neither do thou any harm to him. For now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you trust me, you might say, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only begotten son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, and offered him for a burnt offering on the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah, Jireh. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. It shall be provided. Sometimes we take that song and we talk about Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord provides and and we just we dumb it down so far to just the Lord meeting our needs, and it does apply to that. God does supply our needs, but man, do you see the context of what this was birthed out of? That revelation of who God is as provider was in a place where He was literally willing to offer His only Son and trust God for a resurrection. 
And and through godly fear and obedience and reverence, God stepped in and said, no, but I'm going to offer my son hundreds of years later, and I'm going to raise him from the dead on the third day. And just like Romans chapter 4, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are they receive righteousness imputed to them, just like Abraham did when he believed God. The angel of the Lord, verse 15, called unto Abraham out of the heaven a second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son. Verse 17, Genesis 22, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thee as the seed and your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the shore and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And now we have Jesus, the perfect man who came and lived and laid down his life truly as a burnt offering. He went into hell and he rose from the dead on the third day. And he said, all those who come to me can come back to father, the father of their spirit. You can come home in your heart. And this program is for men who've been marked by Christ. That means you've come home in your heart. If you haven't come home in your heart, would you come home in your heart today? Would you just put your faith in Jesus Christ? And let him begin telling you who you really are. Would you allow the price that he paid be the penalty for your sin? Like it says in Isaiah 53, 10, talking about Jesus prophetically. When you make his soul your offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Will you make the soul of Jesus your offering for sin? Will you allow through faith Jesus to be your offering? And will you allow the pleasure of the Lord to be able to prosper in, in his hand? Will you allow him to be able to just put that robe back on you, put that ring back on you, put new sandals on your feet, redeem your value, your identity, and your purpose? Will you come home in your heart? Will you come back home in your heart? And if you have, then like me, are you just more thankful than ever? that you found home, that you found the Father, that you found faith in Jesus Christ, and you've been marked by Christ. And now you've discovered the true joy and fulfillment of aiming your life at Christ-likeness. 